episode 29. We have experienced reform or reform movements since the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Elements of them have been really nice and really successful and really effective, but the reason that many of these reforms actually have failed or stifled change and stymied um, real um, second order or meaningful change is because I believe and Nick believes that it has failed to transform. Welcome to District Leader, a podcast about moving and inspiring educators and non-educators alike to believe in the power of education, its leaders, and its transformation, with your host, Luis Valentino. Hi, everyone, and welcome to District Leader. Thank you for joining us. My guest this week is Dr. Michael Lubelfeld, Superintendent of the Deerfield Public Schools in Deerfield, Illinois. Originally, we were also going to have Dr. Nick Poliak, superintendent of the Leiden Community High School District in Franklin Park, Illinois. Unfortunately, he was called away and wasn't able to join us. If the names sound familiar to you, it is because both Mike and Nick were previous guests on our program. Nick was our guest, episode 7, and Mike was our guest, episode 13. I invite you to listen to these episodes. Mike and Nick have just published The Unlearning Leader, Leading for Tomorrow's Schools Today, and I invited them to join me in a conversation to discuss their new book. I am excited to have Mike on District Leader, but before we talk with him, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. This episode is being sponsored by Audible.com, where you get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash districtleader and by Isogenics, one of America's leading health and wellness companies. And now, my conversation with Mike. Mike, it is nice to have you on as my guest on District Leader once again. Welcome. Thank you so much, Luis. It is great to be here, and I'm very happy to represent my friend and co-author Nick Poliak, who could not join us today, but he's with us in spirit. Fantastic. Uh, as, as you know, District Leader is about leadership, education, and the stories that my guests share about their experiences in the work. Today's conversation will be a little different. While we will be talking about leadership in education, we will do so through the lens of your new book, The Unlearning Leader, Leading for Tomorrow's Schools Today. Are we ready? Yes, sir. Thank you very much, Luis. Okay, great. Let's, let's jump right in. The title of your new book, The Unlearning Leader, Leading for Tomorrow's Schools Today, what does it mean to be an unlearning leader? Well, I'll tell you, it is really a concept that uh, Nick and I are both exploring a great deal. In our work and over the past few years and through some leadership experiences, we've realized that a lot of beliefs that we as leaders have held and that others around us have held are no longer relevant. And in order for us to actually hit the reset button, so to speak, and in order for us to be valid, reliable, and relevant moving forward, we need to unlearn certain concepts that possibly made us successful today, but we need to unlearn them so that we can create new realities for our organizations, for our employees, for our colleagues, and for the students that we serve. And it's really about um, resetting and reframing that which we need to do for the future. So, Mike, if the future has characteristics that are new and different, schooling has to align its practices to prepare students to succeed in that future. That requires 
an understanding of what that future might look like. And, you know, one of the things that we say is we're preparing kids for an unknown future. So how do we as educators and as leaders consider what that could be for us in preparing to support them for that unknown future? Oh, that is such an awesome question. We, um, we think that uh, statistics from the United States Department of Labor that indicate 65% of the jobs that students who are in school today will be entering the job force in when they get there do not exist yet. Mm-hmm. That is an, an, a humbling and frightening and also exciting proposition, meaning there are experiences and expectations in fields like computer science, for example, in robotics, uh, for example, robotics and nanorobotics that we don't even see today. We can't even fathom today, Luis. Yeah, we've got to create students who are going to become workers and leaders of tomorrow who are able to deal with um, problem solving and cooperation and collaboration and thinking so that whatever the world becomes and whatever the world is, they can uh, be successful. And right now, our schooling system still resembles the 1890s Committee of Ten factory model, industrial revolution model. And it's not because we don't know any better and it's not because we in education are, are, are resistant to change. It's because we are unable sometimes to see what change looks like and sometimes we're afraid to actually create that new pathway and that's why Nick and I suggest we've got to unlearn this and do what some of the pioneers today are doing like at new tech high school um, campuses and high tech high school where they're actually saying the schedule no longer makes sense so we're going to create a new one the isolation of subjects created by the committee of 10 many years ago no longer represents the only pathway to success we're going to change that and we're trying to join the momentum and the movement of basically revolutionary change in the structures of schooling so that we're able to fulfill what the Department of Labor is suggesting is 65% of jobs that don't exist now we want to make sure we've got the thinkers that can be successful then Wow Now, throughout its history education has seen and experienced many movements falling by the wayside Uh, while traditional teaching and learning methods have stood the test of time, right? So isn't that what we should be focusing on, what has worked over time? Oh, my God, such a great question. I'll tell you yes and no. I'm going to say this. We have experienced reform or reform movements since the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Elements of them have been really nice and really successful and really effective, but the reason that many of these reforms actually have failed or stifled change and stymied um, real um, second order or meaningful change is because I believe and Nick believes that it has failed to transform. And instead of focusing on elements of reform, we suggest that we need to unlearn reforms, unlearn reformation, Mm -hmm. and begin to transform and really create something completely different using research and studies that are actually um, positive and powerful, like John Hattie's work and Marzano's work. But instead of adding the new experiences to the, the old structures, it's time to stop the old structures and create new, even though we may not know where it's going to take us. So let me ask you, Mike, where did the inspiration for this book come from? 
Gosh, uh, Nick and I were at a Future Ready Summit in uh, Northern Illinois a couple of years ago, and um, we were watching a video from Jack Aldrich, who is a futurist and also an author of some unlearning books uh, in general management and general leadership. And Jack had asked the audience, what color was a yield sign? And he said, if you think a yield sign, a traffic sign um, that says yield is yellow, um, raise your hand. And a certain number of people raised their hands. Then he said, okay, if you think a yield sign is red, raise your hands. And then uh, another number of people raised and what his point was, was that a yield sign was yellow, in fact, early on in the 70s and 80s. And people that learned how to drive and learn the traffic signs, Luis, knew that it was yellow. Now, even though I learned that it was yellow when I was taught driver's ed, I know cognitively and intellectually that a yield sign is red. However, since, right. since I learned it was yellow, I still said it was yellow. So one of the inspirations or aha moments is Nick and I were saying something as simple as the yield sign and the fact that we were taught one thing and we learned it one way, even though we right. know it's red, we still say it's yellow. So we said, how can we apply this to our world in education? Even though we know it's wrong, so to speak, to um, sift and sort children, as an example, you know, using traditional ability grouping, we still do it because we learned it was correct. And even though all of the meta-analytic studies from Hattie and so forth are indicating why elements of that are wrong, because we learned it was right, we're unsure, unable, unwilling, um, or just not even able to conceptualize unlearning that and doing something different. So those were some of the ingredients uh, that inspired us to write this book. That's great. That's great. Now, one of the themes in your book is the power of being a connected educator. In the present environment, when we use the term connected, we think about being literate in technology. But you take its meaning further. Can you talk about what it means to be a connected educator and why it is important? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Often um, people would tell us that, you know, the superintendency is a lonely position. And often when we were learning leadership and learning about our craft, people said, well, it's lonely at the top, quote unquote, and you're really going to have to figure things out yourself. Well, um, Nick and I reject that concept. And in order to live out the fact that we reject the loneliness and the isolation of these positions is we've become connected educators. Yes, in the technological aspect, which we can address in a few moments, but more importantly, in joining leadership cohorts from our professional associations, the Illinois and the National Superintendent Associations, for example. And we deliberately reach out and make relationships and pick up the telephone and call other colleagues and say, hey, I've got a problem of practice. What do you think? What have you done? Because just because we have a fancy title in a corner office does not mean that all knowledge rests with us and all solutions. And um, from a technology perspective, Luis, Nick and I uh, co-moderate and co-facilitate a hashtag S-U-P-T-C-H-A-T, soup chat. Um, it's a Twitter chat for superintendents and other educational leaders. And although that medium is technological and that medium is Twitter and it's in the virtual web, the most powerful relationships that we've made have come from being at conferences in person and saying, hey, don't I know you from Twitter? Haven't I met you out there in cyberspace? Didn't we trade an email? And now all of a sudden we take technology, which can be um, 
you know, dehumanizing, so to speak, and we create a professional relationship that's personal. So we're enhancing humanity through technology. But most importantly, and to really answer your question is to say, I don't have all the answers and I'm okay not to. So I'm going to reach out to others that have done better work to make myself and my organization better. Great. Now, you referenced hashtag soup chat. What is that? Well, the first Wednesday of every month uh, from 7 p.m. Central to 8 p.m. Central or 8 Eastern to 9 Eastern, Nick and I engage with um, interested superintendents and educational leaders literally from around the world. Uh, at last chat, we had 24 U.S. states represented, District of Columbia, folks from Canada, the United Kingdom, and China. Soup chat is an opportunity for us to put up a problem of practice, uh, an idea, a concept, and we get answers and responses and resource ideas from colleagues everywhere. So for example, we've had topics such as uh, leadership. We've had topics such as what advice would you give a new superintendent? We've talked about the makers movement. We've um, talked about the connected educator. And February 1st, our most recent soup chat was devoted to the upcoming National Conference on Education in New Orleans, uh, sponsored by the AASA. And we talked about the concepts of personalization, innovation, and accountability. Now, one of the things I really like about what you're saying is its connection to one of the themes in my podcast, which is scholarship, the concept of forever learning. And so as we unlearn, then we are building new, a new learning model for ourselves or a new, uh, a new schema, a, a new way of thinking um, about the work. Now, in your book, one of the things that you talk about, the role of the policymaker as an influence on education even though their knowledge of education comes primarily from their own experience as students. Uh, and their decisions to impact the political, economic, fiscal, and educational sphere um, is something that they inhabit. Can you speak to how the unlearning aspect of becoming a leader really contributes to being able to, to take ownership of those components of education? Absolutely, absolutely. I really appreciate the question, and I love the concentration and um, focus on scholarship uh, here with the District Leader Podcast as well, Louise. I'll tell you this. Oftentimes, uh, people in, in our position as superintendents of schools, public, public charter or private, we often hear people raise their hands in frustration saying, oh my gosh, here comes another set of laws from people who don't know anything about education. Again, you know, with air quotes around that. So what the unlearning leader does is says, instead of complaining, instead of admiring problems, instead of being anti, the unlearning leader chooses to be pro and chooses to say, hey, let's engage with our policymakers. Let's speak with them. Let's try to understand their thinking and let's create a dialogue whereby they can understand our thinking. It does not mean they're always going to agree with us. It does not mean they're always going to vote the way we want. But what it does mean is we're saying, hey, let's be at the table together. Let's engage one another. And it takes the uh, the uniting and, and collecting feeling of not being lonely anymore as a superintendent and saying, we're going to be part of the political process, even though we're not elected. We're going to be part of the social and economic landscape because it's essential that our views and our voices are shared with the people in power. So perhaps they will listen to us and not purely due to partisan or political or ideological reasons, but partially because they're unlearning 
their own experiences and opening their own minds to the new experiences of the current modern-day leader. Now, while I referenced your publication as a book, it is more than that. Can you talk about the special features that can bring greater value to the reader? Thank you so much, Luis. Yes, one of the things that Nick and I are really proud of is that instead of simply hearing our voice throughout all of the chapters, we've reached out to some of our friends and practitioners across the country. We've reached out to them to write a practitioner commentary, and we're really proud to welcome... Christine Gilmore, uh, superintendent in Wisconsin, and Andre Spencer, superintendent in Colorado, and Shane Hodgkiss and Brian Troop from Pennsylvania, Matt Mayer, a principal from our own Lake County and Chicagoland area, and Jared Cotton from Virginia. So the reader is going to not only get a Chicagoland perspective from Nick and myself, but they're going to get a broader perspective from different lenses, different demographic groups, and different uh, district experiences. In addition, we have reflection questions at the beginning of each chapter to allow for conversation, discussion, uh, whether it's in a book group or whether it's um, in, in an office setting. And we also finally, um, we end each chapter with something that we're calling souped chat. We have S-U-P-T, where we ask the reader to stop, understand, plan, and think. And then we share another chat uh, with the reader that we're, where they can look at another educational chat on Twitter, uh, one with which they may not yet be familiar, and allow them another opportunity to expand and amplify their learning. Um, perhaps they want to use uh, some knowledge from the other chats that are more reflective and relevant to their particular setting. Now, The Leadership Challenged, a popular book in the leadership genre, frames five exemplary practices of leaders. How did those practices influence your own book? Wonderful. Thank you for asking. Uh, Kuzis and Posner are recognized experts and leaders in leadership across industry, education, manufacturing, private sector, all, all, all across the board. And they're actually, they're writing their sixth edition of the Leadership Challenge, which will be released in May, I understand. And Nick and I have been very strongly influenced by what they have found to be the five exemplary characteristics of a leader. Um, the acronym is MICE-E, model the way, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act, and encourage the heart. And leaders who demonstrate those practices are, are received as and judged as and considered to be exemplary to the people with whom they work. And what Nick and I have done is it's a shout out to Kuzis and Posner for their leadership. And it's also a statement to say, all of our work is framed around those principles and our efforts, our aims. We endeavor to be exemplary leaders every single day in our organizations. And in each of the chapters, we have a sidebar that speaks about one of those characteristics, M-I-C-E or E, and we relate it to the content and topic in our chapter to show that our own experiences and that of our colleagues who've written these commentaries for the book and whose leadership we greatly respect and admire across the country, they're also inspired by and grounded in these principles that Kuzis and Posner have found through their own research and studies to prove and hold the test of time as being characteristics of exemplary leaders. So through the things that you've incorporated into your book, um, 
the reader will be able to be moved and inspired to reflect on their own beliefs. So now it's moving them to a shift, not only in beliefs, but in practice. What are the kinds of things that you put them through in the book to help them move from just the, the theoretical or philosophical into the practical and operational. Wonderful. I, I, I hope and Nick hopes that if they're not currently considering themselves to be connected educators or connected leaders, that at least they'll give it a try. And we've given them mm-hmm. enough rationale and background with Soup Chat and with the other chats that maybe they'll jump in and experience that. We've also helped them see through real case studies in our own practices how very uh, voices can come to the table, most notably student voice and student agency, and how if they're not already encompassing the student voice and decision making and change, now they'll understand why, how, and what the impact has been, and they can replicate that. Furthermore, often we have been taught to uh, wear beige and blend in for the first year of uh, appointment to a new post, and we are aiming to debunk that myth or unlearn that lesson and showing how by getting involved and and being invested with all of the constituent stakeholders when change is needed we can implement change immediately and through these examples we're hoping folks can replicate these and apply them into their own particular environments and situations now that sounds like you're asking these leaders to be courageous and you address that in your book what did you mean when you referenced the concept of being courageous as a leader I'll tell you, when you are going to endeavor to do what is right, whether it's right for children or right for adults or right for both, it is not going to be universally popular. And the courageous leader is able to be respectful to the dissenters and is opening himself or herself up to dissenting voices. At the same time, acknowledging, for example, yes, I'm listening to you and I'm listening to your point of view. Here's why I disagree with it respectfully. And here's why the organization is going to go this way. Our students have one opportunity to pursue whatever grade level they're in. We have very limited days of the year. We can't afford to be um, patient anymore. We can't really afford to wait because children's futures and the future of our country and our world depend on it. So we're saying be courageous by being bold. Be humble, yet be assertive. Be decisive, yet take the input of all, but move forward because the children cannot wait and our teachers should not have to wait. We have research at our fingertips. Let's apply it, even if it doesn't make sense and even if it differs from that which made us successful. We've got to unlearn and move forward, and we really don't have a lot of time. Right. So what would you say are the key takeaways after reading The Unlearning Leader? Unlearning is a process and a concept that we really hope people think deeply about, and um, we're looking forward to their feedback, but we hope they accept it as saying, yeah, you know what, just because I'm successful now does not mean that everything that made me successful is currently relevant to today's ages. Another takeaway is that the speed of change in our current generation 
is like nothing we've experienced before. Quick uh, anecdote is the iPad itself has only been around seven years, yet mm -hmm. I think we'd be hard-pressed to not find an iPad all over the world, and we accept it as normal, and all of a sudden it's completely changed. So a takeaway is embrace the fact that change is very fast and equip yourself with the tools, knowledge, and skills to deal with it. And a third takeaway is that um, we are able to move school systems and we are able to move people with inspiring a shared vision, with modeling the way, with challenging the process, enabling others to act and encouraging the heart. By demonstrating those five exemplary practices, we can move our, our, our school systems and our organizations. So the takeaways are let's jump in, let's do it, let's unlearn, let's connect, and let's um, make the world a better place. Super. So, Mike, when will your book be available and how can our listeners get a copy of it? Thank you so much. Roman and Littlefield Publishers will have the book released um, mid to end of March. So it's coming soon, March 2017. It will be released. It is available for pre-order right now at Amazon.com and at Roman and Littlefield's website. Uh, members of the American Association of School Administrators can use a discount code uh, to get a discount on the book uh, from the Roman site or from the AASA site. And um, Amazon is, um, is honoring pre-orders and will ship as soon as it's released. Very much appreciate um, anybody who's interested reading it and giving us the feedback. Well, The Unlearning Leader, Leading for Tomorrow's Schools Today by Drs. Michael Lubelfeld and Nick Poliak. Mike, it was a pleasure having you today. I am so excited to be able to talk with you about your upcoming book, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Luis, uh, both Nick and I are grateful to you for your support, grateful to you for your contributions to leadership through the podcast and your work, and it really has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you again today, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Superintendent Dr. Michael Lubofeld. I am looking forward to reading their new book and hope that you are as well. Please reach out to Mike and Nick. They'll be more than happy to connect with you. Once again, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Information on today's episode will be available in our program notes on our website at districtleader.net. Please check out our other podcasts as well. You can subscribe to them on iTunes from your computer, your tablet, or your smartphone, so you can take us with you. And don't forget to tell a friend. Thank you again to our sponsors, audible.com, where you can own the best books you will ever hear. And to Isogenics, providing nutritional solutions for weight loss, athletic performance, healthy aging, and wealth creation.